0: Hi, welcome back to the This and That podcast, this is episode 2, I'm one of your hosts Sam
1: And I'm your host Steve
0: One of the hosts, Steve (laughs) And today we're going to be covering three topics as usual First up is covering diplomatic immunity and the current story running around about Anne Sakuas and the tragedy that happened there with Harry Dunn. Uh, also, we're going to be talking about the two marathon records that we saw this weekend. Um, the first person ever to run a marathon in under two hours. And lastly, we'll be talking about the hundredth Nobel Peace Prize, which was re- awarded to the Prime Minister of Ethiopia, Dr. Abiy Ahmed.
1: So the big story this week is that Harry Dunn, a 19-year-old motorcyclist, died in a car crash in Northampton on the 27th of August. Involved, supposedly, is Anne Soukalas, whose husband works in the RAF base near there and has diplomatic immunity for him and his family. In that instance, after speaking to the police, she has flown back to the US to escape questioning.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And all this happened two months ago, so the fact that none of it's been sorted, or just even any developments really, until now is pretty shocking, and even now it's just comments from various people trying to, well, get her back in the country by any any way really, to get her in court. So, we're going to start off... Not with the specifics of this story, but we're going to first talk about what diplomatic immunity actually is. And I know you probably know already because we've both um, (laughs) researched this, but I'm going to go for a definition here that we can discuss. Throw it out at me. So the quote I got from Sky News when they reported on it is that diplomatic immunity is a form of legal protection awarded to diplomats to allow them to avoid the force of the law in their host country, which if you go from that definition... Which sounded pretty formal as well. That is very vague. It allows for lots of... Sounds you know,
1: like a big old blanket.
0: A big old blanket with lots of loopholes in it. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, not very good. And um, so with diplomatic community in the UK, uh, this kind of started in 1960 and is governed by the International treaty signed at the Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations. And Pop quiz, Sam, what
1: year was that?
0: 1960.
1: Did you say it by any chance? Yes. Fuck! <laughs> I didn't hear you. That's all right. I, I didn't hear you. I was like, oh, I can get this
0: one in. <laughs> but um, the question that I first heard when we started talking about this is, can you just get away with anything then? Like murder or anything like that? And the article said, A "Hard no, you can't just get away with everything." But then, it didn't seem to be any actual consequences on the individual. The consequences of breaking the law when you're under diplomatic immunity was pretty much just diplomatic relations will go down the drain.
1: So in theory, it seems like diplomats don't need to face any court proceedings. Um, no, the court at is all. literally can't touch them. Yeah. But, however, the convention does state that um, those immune are expected to still obey the law.
0: Yeah. So, it's not
1: the Wild West. No. Just about.
0: Yeah. You can... I mean, if you break the law, you've got to get out of there fast, essentially. You've got to Ross Kemp it out of there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If it's bad, you've got to go... If it's little, you can get away with it. Yeah. It's kind of that awkward, you know, a parking ticket you could probably get away with... Running someone over on the wrong side of the road, that's a big old runaway.
0: In theory, it's a good thing, because it stops just differences in cultures and laws from getting in the way of diplomatic meetings and things. But obviously, when something happens like this, where someone's died, and the person that is the direct cause of it isn't even the diplomat in question, suddenly all the regulations around it start to get questioned. So I thought that was why it was a good idea to start with, what it actually is. And, um... Yeah, so, have you got anything else to add to...
1: Yeah, I think, we've obviously, it's obviously not a good story, no. but um, it's probably showing the worst side of diplomatic immunity, which is obviously somebody able to run away from a, from an investigation. But it is there, and it has a reason to obviously allow diplomats to be able to do their job yeah. in another yeah. country without coercion or the ability to be um, harassed by the host country to be able to get something out of them. Yes. And then that extends to beyond themselves, to their family, because obviously they could then exert pressure on the, the diplomat. diplomat. Yes. So to give a little context around diplomatic immunity, it's about it's thought that about 23,000 people in the UK have diplomatic immunity. I mean, that's quite a lot of people. It's a lot. And they're probably not all
0: actually diplomats.
1: No, like we said before, it can extend beyond the individual. So yeah, um, and it's not just family members; it can be drivers, cooks, anyone with um, a close proximity to someone in a, you could say, vulnerable position vulnerable to be position exploited. Of power,
0: yes, yeah, and um, in this case, it was. I don't know, what his actual job title is not seem to be talked about much, because no, he's, he's, he's not really um, the story.
1: He's not the story, but obviously he's the reason that she's been allowed to go. So he works at the... Um, it is RAF Crawton, which was near the scene of the crash, and that's where the husband worked right. And I believe that's run by um, the US military. So it's nothing to do with the UK.
0: Hmm. And just to be clear as well, it's the um, the home country... So the employer, essentially, of the diplomat that controls their immunity, they can give it and take it away however they feel. So in this case, it's up to the US, or it would have been, had she still been in the UK, to take away her immunity and allow her to go through the court process for, I guess, manslaughter?
1: Uh, Do you know what the actual I'm not, a, I'm not a lawyer. Because they haven't been able to charge her. Death by dangerous driving, potentially, she's on the wrong side of the road. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know what that would entail, but I can imagine a couple of years in prison at the very least. Another point to say is that um, the Foreign Office can ask a foreign government to waive immunity, but there's no actual precedent for the foreign country to waive that immunity, yeah. if they were asked. Uh, and a diplomat themselves can't waive their own immunity, it's for the foreign state to take it away or give which I thought was quite interesting.
0: Yeah, it goes both ways as well. It's not just that they can't waver it. You also can't ask to have immunity once you've done something wrong. You need to have already been granted it, really. But I'm sure there's been many an instance where it has been granted in those cases to save our, <laughs> our guys out save there. Save some bacon. Yeah. But as, as you said, it's up the uh, hosting country. So in this instance, the UK. Ask for a waiver if they want to go through the court processing, which we have done. Apparently, according to Dominic Raab, the foreign secretary, they've pressed for a waiver of her immunity, and the USA declined pretty harshly. Um, Now, sending back that now that Anne is back in the US, her immunity is no longer pertinent. So she is a fugitive that's now in a foreign country, but. There's nothing we can do because she's in a foreign country. It's it's... In,
1: it's interesting because she, the US didn't waive the immunity, but managed to skirt around it by saying because Did she, she went home and left that foreign country, the, the diplomatic immunity does not actually count anymore. Yeah. So it was a nice way for them to keep their, you know, American citizens overseas are still powerful and manly and godlike. <laughs> but now also we can also help you. <laughs> yeah.
0: And um but Trump's not been very um helpful with that. Essentially now, because she is a fugitive, the Dunn family, um the family of Harry Dunn, the guy that died, can sue her in the US, but it sounds like the US have to allow this to happen as well, because Trump was quoted saying that they're very reluctant to allow that. So, there isn't really much power that the family has.
1: Yeah, it's quite sad. Um, Obviously, the fact that she went back to the US pretty much hampers anything to do with the UK system. Yeah. Um, Unless she comes back voluntary.
0: Well, yeah, a lot of people are hoping for that. But, well, everyone sort of says, why would you if you were... Yeah. If it was you, why would you come back for a definite prison sentence? But everyone is begging for that because it's...
1: It's the right thing to do. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, It's also interesting because obviously it's easy to hate her because of what happened, but she must be in a pretty rough place now as well. Do you not think? Yeah. I mean, she does have the death of a young guy on her conscience.
1: Yeah, but it's... (sighs) Kind of looking at it, it's a bit of an. You'd obviously never want to be in that situation, no. or anyone you know to be in that situation. Um, but apparently, she, you know, she, she's at the scene of the crime, or scene of the accident. Sorry. Where, um, spoke to police, then spoke to them the next day, um, and said she had no plans to leave the country, as they probably thought, you know, she probably feared, but then travelled back to the. U.S. So it's kind of she obviously knew what she was doing. It's not like a huge panic. It's a realization yeah. that and she... something's something's gone wrong, and she has the ability to escape through this very lucrative aspect of her husband's work, and has taken that to escape um, justice in essence.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of just in a stalemate now. We there's. We're almost going in circles just talking about it. I mean it's someone's asking for them to come back and getting just vague responses from the US officials. It's just wait and see really and you just gotta feel bad for the for the mother Charlotte Charles is Harry Dunn's mum, who just is still fighting.
1: They flew over today to the US. Did they parents, yeah. To attempt to get at least a meeting with the lawyers. Yeah. Or with her face-to-face.
0: What oh, um, would that be to discuss them? Just the whole thing.
1: Just probably the whole thing, to be honest. Um, Anne put out a statement... Or, on behalf... A lawyer put out a statement on behalf of um, Anne... Saying that she'd fully cooperated with the police... Um, that she spoke with the authorities at the scene of the accident... And met with Northampton police at her home the following day. She will continue to cooperate with the investigation... Anne is devastated by this tragic accident. No loss compares to the death of a child, and Anne extends her deepest sympathy to Harry Dunn's family. Anne would like to meet with Mr Dunn's parents so that she can express her deepest sympathies and apologies for this tragic accident.
0: Well... Well, At least she's not running totally. She's running from the consequences, but not from the guilt.
1: But she gets to move on from that.
0: Yeah, yeah, the parents do. Yeah, they need some sort of closure.
1: Nothing, nothing that the parents will do will ever change the course of actions that she took that day.
0: No, and we and... listened to an interview with Charlotte Charles earlier, and it's, it's pretty hard to hear, to be honest. Like she's just trying to hold herself together, talking about it. It's tough. But it doesn't help when you get uh, people like Trump talking about it, and I got a quote here from him talking about the accident in discussing that it was essentially caused because Anne was driving on the wrong side of the road when she hit uh, Harry Dunn on his motorbike. And Trump just said, it happens. I won't say it happened to me, but it did. So, it
1: kind of just de- downplays it all. Yeah. It kind of just it's Trying to brush it under the rug. Yeah, the contempt for the seriousness. Yeah. Which is not particularly out of character should we say
0: yeah it's yeah you hear him mention it and it's almost just a you know it's a side thing there's not really any emotion into it so, oh it's a tragedy that this boy died mm. and I don't know I drove on the wrong side of the road sometimes maybe and that's all that's all he gives on the matter it's yeah it's, I don't know it's not not nice it's
1: not a nice story and hopefully um some resolution comes out of it. Yeah. Um, that's all we can kind of hope for. But in a wi- in a wider kind of spotlight, it throws onto the diplomatic community. And I think that's the main thing that's shown up here. Yeah. Um, in terms of what, you know, they can get away with, what they can do, what has happened and just has been brushed under the rug. It can just go.
0: Yeah. You wonder if there should be just uh, more specific wording around what's allowed i mean the fairly obvious one is if someone dies as a result of what you do the immunity should fall short almost or you should at least be held accountable in the terms of the law of your own country at least i mean you'd have to be held accountable from one of your countries do you not think
1: yeah definitely
0: so i mean do you have any examples that would be a good parallel to the story Yeah, so in
1: 1997, um, the US asked um, Georgia to remove their diplomatic immunity for the Georgian diplomat, Goregu Markadazi, who, uh, honestly, that's first try, (laughs) Um, but he killed a girl um, while drink driving in Washington, D.C., and he served three years in prison um, for that, but that doesn't really sound like justice was done, but
0: it's better than nothing.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a parallel at yeah. least to this case, um, at least in terms of dr- driving.
0: I mean, if and he does, he did serve three years. Three years is not nothing. Like it's a long time.
1: Yeah, but also but that's a whole that's a whole different. That's Yeah, that's yeah. I guess <laughs> that's a that's a, di- that's a different. It's a different podcast. That one. What works,
0: um, and apart from just direct comparisons, you might think. Or what other things have people gotten away with because of this diplomatic immunity? And the answer is probably quite a lot of things. Even in 2016, Boris Johnson, when he was the the Foreign Secretary at that point, I think he'd just become that. Was he just Foreign Secretary, yeah? Maybe. I don't know. But he he admitted to Parliament that many diplomats had used diplomatic immunity to get off of charges of child pornography and human trafficking, which... Outside of, like, murder and mass murder, I those
1: challenge pretty, you to pretty, find worse
0: crimes. They
1: are up there in the big bracket of very bad.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I mean, that's quite incredulous that that kind of
0: admission and that, can be made. And that was three years ago and there's not been any changes.
1: I mean, in 2017, there were 12 serious offences committed by people with dip- diplomatic protection in the UK. Um, five of them were driving related, but some included sexual assault, blackmail, and possession of a firearm. I yeah. mean, who's walking around with a gun?
0: I hate to say it, but were they American? <sighs> or you don't have those deets.
1: I don't. I, I don't have those. But I mean, it's just pretty crazy that they're just flaunt them. I mean, the sexual assault ones, very bad.
0: Yeah. I yeah. Mean, it's just it's it's not what it was intended for. It's not a case of just. It's very much. It's almost it's the rich get richer. It's just like if you're powerful enough, you can just get away with anything. Hmm. You're it's above an exploitation the Exploitation
1: of the system in place. Yeah, for completely.
0: The all right. So after all of that, do you think? Well, have you got any quick fixes that you could make to the diplomatic community problem? It's because I can't really think of any. It's yeah. Fixes. It's
1: difficult because what you'd, I guess. The reason it's there is to protect these people from what we would deem to be harsh and unfair kind of practices. Yeah. So in the UK, we trust the judicial system to be fair and proper. So if somebody with this protection, like this situation has arisen, you would expect them to stay to be able to face a fair trial. But say it was in another country, say it was, for instance, in North Korea, if Mm. they brought a charge up... On any grounds would we really trust that potentially that happened the way they say it happened and then
0: anything could be construed as something else almost
1: exactly so how do you protect against unfair practices in a country that you may feel unsafe in or feel would not be fair to the same level without having such a blanket kind of protection it's quite it's difficult to kind of equate that because some countries will say that potentially our system's not fair in their eyes, yeah, so well,
0: that's that's right and that's yeah. the that's the issue when dealing on such an international basis That's where I go back to what I mentioned earlier. I think you should be tried either in what's the court of your own country or your host country,
1: but what happens when there's different laws
0: i mean it's illegal. yeah, but it's in so if, this case yeah. someone's but in a traffic accident, someone's died. Yeah. And they've gone back to America to avoid eight to ten years, was the estimate. They should still be tried at least in America, court of law. No? As an American citizen.
1: But my only issue is there, say they committed a crime that's not illegal in America.
0: Hmm.
1: Say, I, I, I don't know, just... If they were,
0: like, caught with weed. If they were, yeah, if, yeah. They,
1: were, if they were caught with weed then they've not really they've not committed a crime in America and the judiciary there has no real there's no evidence to convict them um and again what happens if that law is completely against what the host country stands for um I can't think of an example off the top of my head but if it was you know if we thought it was ridiculous like wearing red socks on a Wednesday and you'd be beheaded in another country. (laughs) But it's like some laws are check socks colour. A bit... (laughs) (laughs) Shit. (laughs) (laughs) But if it was, you know, a law we would find ridiculous, barbaric, medieval, yet it's still legal in that country, how would we feel about then having to try someone against that law in our own country where it's not illegal and it may have not been illegal... One of the big ones would be homosexuality. Such a, it's such a grey
0: area. There's a it? lot
1: of countries where it's still illegal to be homosexual. Yet in our Even con- if it's
0: not enforced, it's still technically illegal. Yeah. Though, yeah.
1: And yet in our country, it's been legal for a, quite a long time, and it's very much accepted in modern society. Yet, yeah. would we then have to prosecute a diplomat for something not illegal in his own country. Christ, you hope not It's it, So it opens up a kind of... A, that, I guess that's why it's always stayed so yeah, vague. Because it's so hard to fix. It is to simply protect against the cross ideals of an international community.
0: You just do You feel something needs... There needs to be something done. You can't just have, for better choice of words, get away with this. Mm. I know they didn't intend to do it, but that, that is guess, what it feels yeah. like. And it's been two months.
1: I guess that's where the problem with, you know, when you get to the international level, that's the problem you face. There's no one above. There's no world governments. There's no world police to go, right, you're in that country. You can come back here now and face trial. You yeah. know, this is the very top of the food chain. Um, so that that's, you know, it, diplomatic pressure. It's when, you know... Presidents, prime ministers get involved, tie up ministers. Yeah, I mean, obviously.
0: We've got both the heads of our countries talking about yeah.
1: this. But ultimately, besides political pressure and then, you know, the pressures that you can put on another country, you know, economic sanctions, kind of freezing of assets, potentially, you know, there's nothing really you can do. You're not going to start a war over it.
0: No. So, no.
1: you know, you're not going to throw the. As much as it's hard to say, there's nothing that can really be done other than asking nicely and then maybe asking not so nicely but there's nothing nothing without a smile (laughs) how British of day
0: but yeah you take the kind off your kind (laughs)
1: regards email
0: regards bojo (laughs) but yeah I mean funnily enough two boys in Chester can't work it out but if you're like screaming any ideas in your head, uh, feel free to get in contact, and we might talk about it a little bit, a little bit at the start of next week's episode. We've got Twitter, Facebook, anything, Instagram, this and that pod. Hit us up with your ideas. Um, we're going to end that section there because, well, I think us un- being unable to solve it yeah. kind of seems like a good ending.
1: We weren't able to solve world international
0: (laughs) politics 20 minutes damn Damn. (laughs) (laughs) but that
1: ends that section and now we'll be moving on to something a little more uplifting yeah and the breaking of records left right and center in the running world
0: and we're on to our uplifting section of the podcast which is good because you could tell me and Steve were struggling with the seriousness of the last one.
1: It was very serious.
0: Yeah, it was a tough time for us, but the marathon madness that happened this weekend. It just went from one record to another. Yeah, and we're going to start off with the biggie, the big boy, the man himself, Iliad Kipchoge. That is how you pronounce it, yeah?
1: I believe that's exactly how you pronounce it. Yeah. Perfect. Who,
0: on Saturday morning, not only broke the marathon world record... Technically, we'll talk about it later. Not officially. Not officially. Keep that one in mind. But he ran a marathon in under two hours.
1: That's 26.2
0: miles. <laughs> miles. In, one, in one
1: hour, 59 minutes and 40 seconds. That is incredibly fast. A man's
0: an animal. A man's a machine. Please you see it as well, if you watch the footage, the last kilometre I think is his fastest, which is insanity that he still had enough in him to do some sort of sprint finish. <laughs> and honestly, it just... it I think partly because it wasn't in any kind of competition, it wasn't in a race, it's just him against the clock. It just felt like such a happy achievement for everyone. Like, there's no one rooting against him.
1: It was legitimately it's... one man and a mission to break the two-hour barrier. Yeah. Um. There's There's no competition... There's no nothing, it's just man versus what was possible. Yeah. And he did it. And you can't not feel happy for yeah. that to happen. It's simply, th- there's just nothing to <laughs> root against. Honestly,
0: just reading it, reading about it and watching it, it just got me smiling for the whole thing. It's so, so cool. It, and it's obviously his achievement, but it does feel just like a big, almost like human achievement. I mean, there's been thousands of years of humans. And two days ago, yesterday even, is the first time someone's ran a marathon in under two hours. It's just one of those pivotal moments
1: where it's gone from impossible to possible. Mm. And it was the same with the four minute mile. No one thought it was possible for someone to run that. And then they smashed it. And now hundreds of people have run under four minute miles.
0: Yeah, and And it's like the 10 second 100 meters as well. And now someone's done it in 9.56, so where do you you draw the line? This, I think, will take some beating, though, because of the mad... um...
1: The assistance. Yeah. Um, Yeah, do you want to run us through why it's not the official world record? Yeah,
0: so Guinness have come out and said it's not the official world record, it won't stand in competitions, which a lot of people are up in arms about because you ran it in this time... You know. Why shouldn't No he come? caveat? But there are caveats because throughout the race there were forty two pacemakers in a ring around him, making sure that he didn't lose pace, keeping him motivated. And just to also, put it
1: in context, these forty two aren't just park runners. These are <laughs> these are some of the best these are past, runners.
0: Past the Olympic and world record holders. So. These
1: these are literally the people he would race against.
0: Yeah. The these are the cream of the crop. This is what I mean as well, we're, no one's against this this is like, legitimately the top tier of running helping him yeah, break this record everyone is down for it i mean there was even a laser tracker on him to check he was going at the right average speed which by the way <laughs> was just over 13 miles an hour or 21.1 kilometers an hour
1: he had to run his required <laughs> pace was 2 minutes 50 seconds per kilometer that 42 is 42 kilometers unbelievably yeah. fast oh, it's so- To put it in perspective... There's so many great stats about it. Oh, my favourite is, he had to run 100 metres in 17.08 seconds, 422 times in a row.
0: I (laughs) legit couldn't do that twice in a row. I couldn't even (laughs) do it once.
1: (laughs) It's unbelievably fast. I've I've seen some pictures of people that have tried to run the speed on On like a treadmill. Yeah. And it's a sprint for 40 seconds and then they're and they off. die, yeah. Demanded it for under
0: two hours. It is insane. And yeah, back to why it's not a real record. Sorry, we got excited. <laughs> <laughs> <Not talking>. Numbers. <laughs> Numbers. But um, so he had all these pacemakers. They were specifically positioned as well to take away the wind resistance from slowing him down. So we always had someone in front of him. And they're swapping about every 5k, and it's worth going to try and find a video to watch them swap out, (laughs) because it's smooth. (laughs) They slot in, slot out, wait for their turn back at the lap again. And yeah, it's just a fantastic effort and great to watch. Um, You just wonder if... Because he smashed it as well, he did it with 20 seconds to spare. And he's come close before within a minute. He held. He holds the official record too of two minutes one two minutes. <laughs> 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 two hours, one minute. and toe, you know, you're going too fast. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> <laughs> two hours, one minute and thirty nine seconds. So, who knows? Maybe we'll see him do it for real. For I like, mean, time. it's
1: that mental barrier, I guess. Yeah. He's actually done it, so yeah. he can go and do it again. Yeah.
0: Well, I hope he it's does in, it. it's incredible. Thirty four as well.
1: Yeah, it's no spring it's chicken, young, but no, no, no
0: spring. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So, but it's interesting athletics and sport in general. Sometimes these records aren't beaten by,
0: you know, the years. young the young bucks yeah.
1: when you think they have the most energy. But it's when they've gained that mental fortitude, the experience to be able to push through the physical barriers.
0: Yeah, and even just the consistent years of training to get to this level it would make sense i mean you can't go from you know standard runner to running a marathon in under two hours in a year two years like that's a crazy amount of training and lifestyle change and
1: it just puts it down to the dedication yeah Um, it's huge he is the best marathon runner ever ever and now he is the fastest Mm. marathon runner ever
0: and his say on the matter has pretty much always been the same. He's like, I'm doing this to show we don't have limitations. And he said, this shows that no one is limited. Which, you know, let's not take it too literally. But <laughs> he's, he's not going to run a marathon in half an hour. I don't know. But maybe he can run it in two <laughs> <maybe>. minutes. <laughs> but it's... Oh, it's, it's a nice sentiment, isn't
1: it? <laughs> I mean, I've got quotes from him and they're all just so positive. And I think... Right, it's gonna that... be
0: a quoted on every gym in the country. Oh isn't god, it?
1: yeah. I mean I'm gonna I'm gonna look at a quote and just go, nah, it's alright. I'll leave that one to <laughs> I'll leave you. A,
0: one you, mate. you did
1: it yourself. <laughs> but I mean, one of his quotes was this shows the positivity of sport. I want to make it clean and interesting sport. Together when we run, we can make it a beautiful world. And I think that's what I felt when I was reading the story. It's just a good feeling story not, of yeah. somebody breaking a barrier for everyone. Yeah. There's no malice. There's no objective. There's no ulterior motive. It's simply what we can accomplish as and a species. It's,
0: it's little things as well. It's like, you know, the sport like commentary like noises will be talking about it in depth of like, is it possible to run it in under two hours? And I think I remember looking it up as a kid, almost like, has anyone ever done it in two hours? It's like everyone can appreciate it you don't have to know much, it's just it's crazy it's just it's raised great. the
1: benchmark yeah. for what's possible Yeah. in sport and it just shows what a positive mindset and what you want to achieve can do
0: Yeah, and following from that this morning I think it was, was it today? I think, I think it was outside. today Bridget Koskai also of Kenya, right? Yeah, both yeah. Kenyans. Yeah.
1: Kenya have a long tradition of uh, long-distance runners. Yeah,
0: but uh, she ran the Chicago Marathon today and broke the women's world record. She smashed marathon. it. Yeah, she did smash it. That's, <laughs> that's Paula Radcliffe's record, which had stood since 2003, I think.
1: 16 years.
0: Yeah, it's a long old record. And she took a minute 20 off it. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. Fun
1: fact about that, that's the longest-standing marathon world record by either a man or a woman. Where where'd you pull that from? You know me. I just, have just, to... you just love your marathon. I'm the stat man.
0: <laughs> but um, it's honestly, great to have double in one weekend. It's
1: crazy, and that's an official world record as well. Yeah.
0: yeah she ain't cheating. She.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she ain't got forty-two pacemakers, but she went ahead and just blew it to pieces. Mm. And it's just a great weekend for long-distance running, marathon yeah. running.
0: Yeah. Ugh. It's good as well. And it's good for her to get the recognition on the same weekend as well. It's make sure both, both of Damn them right. get a big story. They've both smashed records.
1: It's a big spotlight in a world that, you know, doesn't seem to get a lot of love.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's too. I mean, especially for the amount of people that do jog or run or whatever it is. It's, it doesn't, apart from the Olympics, I mean, even then, the marathon in the Olympics doesn't get that much talk about it. Yeah. I mean they're not household names normally, mm. but especially Kipchoge it's becoming he's becoming a household name. It's cool.
1: Yeah, I mean the only time you really do get kind of the big news stories is when the records get broken because yeah. I guess that's the big thing isn't it? Um I mean Paula Radcliffe stood since 2003. It's a long time for it not to be broken. Yeah. You think and
0: we all know about that cuz she's British. Yeah, I do wonder definitely. how outside of this country is she as famous as we think she is cuz we all know who Paula Radcliffe is, but is it the same, you know, in Germany or France or Kenya yeah. or anywhere? Maybe
1: they just have a picture of her going, we must, be de- must defeat her. Yeah, yeah, this is the enemy.
0: <laughs> but yeah, so that's, that's our uplifting section. Just smiling on my face now. <laughs> okay. So
1: another fun fact about Kipchoge running the... Uh sub two hour marathon is that Nike provided his shoes and it was a new model of shoe that has been worn by the athletes running the five fastest marathons in history yes,
0: such a cool start to have it's as a cool tagline yeah they must be rubbing their hands together that must be a good that. shoe I might get some <laughs> I don't know you can afford it <laughs>
1: <laughs> and on that note let's move on yeah. to the next pe- portion which is the Nobel Peace Prize excellent <laughs> Excellent. Now it's time for the third part of the pod, which is news around the world, and today we've picked the Nobel Peace Prize winner, Abby Ahmed.
0: Yeah, the hundredth Nobel Peace Prize winner. Centenary. Uh, Gets a little extra jazz about it, doesn't it? Do you think he gets a special medal? (laughs) Just like big
1: one hundred on it. Did he get a medal? So, Nobel Peace Prize, isn't it? I don't know.
0: I've I'd... not got one.
1: Ah, oh, well. Can't <laughs> believe you don't have one. I can't believe you <laughs> don't. We'll they were them all.
0: <laughs> But yeah, Abi Ahmed. Um, do you want to go into it first, or shall I hop in?
1: Yeah. So Abi Ahmed is the. In case you didn't know. He which is. I didn't. A few <laughs> ago. Did you even know there was a Nobel Peace Prize? Yeah, I knew that. I'm not that much really. <laughs> not that
0: ignorant.
1: He is the uh, Prime Minister of Ethiopia and he was awarded the 2019 Nobel Peace Prize for as the Nobel Committee puts it, his role in resolving the border conflict with Eritrea and promoting peace and reconciliation both in his own country and in the wider East African region. Yes. Sounds pretty deserving.
0: Yeah, it That's does. quite a lot of things. It's a lot, and I'm going to read you a couple of things of what that entailed, and the man's got a lot done. He's only been Prime Minister for just over 18 months, and I've got a few bullet points here of how he managed to get the peace between the two borders, and is helping to develop the Horn of Africa, as that northeast part of Africa is called, which, by the way, is made up of Ethiopia, Eritrea, Somalia, and Djibouti? Djibouti. Djibouti, thank you. Um, So he started off... Well, I don't know what order he did, but he released thousands of political prisoners, invited members of political groups that have been labelled terrorist groups to come home, lifted the national state of emergency, removed from office past practitioners of oppression, signed the peace deal with Eritrea, which is the big one that seems to have got all the headlines, and also... Which isn't mentioned too much. He's appointed a gender-balanced cabinet, which in Ethiopia, especially, is that's one hell of a step. I mean, we don't have that in our country, really.
1: Yeah, no, it's crazy representation. Um, he also appointed the country's first female president, which again just gives more credence to equality.
0: Yeah, in it's...
1: and representation in the highest echelons of power. The man's so... getting
0: stuff done, and he's just. I hope it's all genuine and. For done the for best, the right reasons, seems, yeah. it just seems like this shining beacon of hope, to be honest.
1: But he's not consolidated his own power when he came into the position. He's actually started to change things, yeah. which is refreshing, to say the least.
0: Yeah, it is, and at risk to himself as well. I mean, there was a lot of people that didn't want this peace deal to be signed with Eritrea. I mean, it was finalised by him just giving in to all the demands of Eritrea and just saying, let's just get this done, let's be at peace so we can move on. And people inside his own government weren't happy with that. But, by God, he did it anyway. <laughs> <The son laughs> He's a, a, a madman! <laughs> <laughs>
1: but I guess that's sort, The compromise has been achieved and the peace deal's in place. And I know it's not going to be done overnight. It's no, not it's gonna, still early
0: days, obviously.
1: It's not the end of every conflict ever. No. But it's a great shining beacon of what can be done when pride's put aside
0: yeah and yeah.
1: somebody that what seems to be wants to put the best foot forward for the people in not just his country but eritrea as well
0: is, yeah it's happy to do to achieve that i think you use the best word as well for it it's just refreshing to be honest especially in our own country now you just see it's it really is we politicians and it doesn't seem to be they're acting in the people's best interest but there's 115 million people in the Horn of Africa oh, and wow. this it's is a lot of folk that's a lot of people and this is a huge step towards helping them and it's been cited as Ethiopia are the best place to do this both powerful in terms of power in that area and just geographically as well they're just if anyone's going to do it it's going to be them and now they are it's it's great and to be honest, winning the prize should help him get further developments as well. It should help him get backing and popularity. Yeah, and it just raises things.
1: his profile as this kind of peace builder. Yeah, um, and it just adds to his growing reputation. Mm. So hopefully, that do- that kind of kicks off um, other things. Yeah, um,
0: um, and some people, you know, they question, well, why he got the peace prize for this deal? Why not the? Prime Minister of Eritrea, and quite simply, that's because uh, Eritrea, Eritrean leader, leader, the Eritrean leader, is not the nicest man. He's had histories of um, uh, crimes against humanity and one of the most oppressive dictatorships yet, apparently. But you know, that's a he big can, oof. Maybe can learn from Arman man, Abiy Ahmed, Doctor Abiy Ahmed. Isn't that cool? Is oh, that? <laughs>
1: man's a doctor legend.
0: But the way he's going about it as well is smart. He's not just taking over with the power that Ethiopia have there. He's bringing investments where all of those countries are investing. So they're all in it together for infrastructure and economically sound assets. And it's it's hope there's going to be progress there. It's really yeah.
1: good. I mean, he's bringing together other countries like Kenya and Somalia, South Sudan, Sudan. He's really tying it all together and making, like you say, the whole of Africa um, a lot more stable, a lot more peaceful, and hopefully that brings with it economic growth and better lives yeah. for those individuals. I think that, that's all it comes down to, really.
0: And it's such, it's... A, it's such a good role model of women and anyone growing up that wants to be, go into politics, and that it's not all food corruption, and... Anyone can still get into it and there are good people out there and it might change. He's a good step towards that change.
1: He's a great landmark yeah. and a great inspiration for anyone in that area or around the world yeah. to see what a leader could and should be. So hats off to him.
0: Mm. And um, just a quick backstory of the Ethiopian and Eritrean conflict. It's hugely complex, but I'll try to sum it up quickly now um essentially that area was victim of the colonialization back in the 1800s which unfortunately a lot of africa was it's horrible and italy ended up owning it and actually gave it its name in latin eritrea which means the red sea which is you know a fun fact amongst the darkness of of colonialization <laughs> not many fun facts from that bit. I would like
1: to apologise on behalf of Britain <laughs> for the atrocities Steve, it performed Steve says sorry Steve says sorry from Britain <laughs> we weren't the good guys no.
0: That should be talked about more
1: absolutely just as a brief note for anyone not listening in the UK we are not taught about the British
0: Empire yeah um, the bad things
1: I wasn't even taught anything of it um, it very much felt like a sweep under the rug
0: yeah it's not cool and it's pretty shocking when you do find out about it
1: absolutely um, but it's better to learn later than it is to never learn at all. <laughs>
0: yeah. You have trouble getting that one out.
1: <laughs> what? Not? That was all right. Yeah, oh, fuck you, Sam. <laughs> Cut me <saying> that. <laughs> yeah.
0: But yeah, so following the Second World War, Italy and Ethiopia were both claiming ownership of Eritrea and for some reason the Soviet Union as well, although they were quickly just saying... No, <laughs> it's definitely not yours. Um, and through the fifties, revolts happened, and what are they called?
1: Oh, Civil unrest, protests, riots. yeah, protest
0: group, and protest groups were rising up, and as came about was a thirty-year war of independence, eventually leading for a split of Eritrea from Ethiopia in nineteen ninety-three which had one of those questionable referendums of a 99.8% vote for them being independent, which you might just say is everyone was on board or was it a little bit fixed?
1: I'm going to say 998 <laughs> does not sound good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but the point is that was voted for and apparently done in terms of becoming an independent state legally, but they didn't really bother... Making any official country boundaries or anything, so until the last recent years they've just been fighting about those so they're boundaries. just you know they've
1: got these kind of borders where troops are, and that kind of defines which country you're in and where they've set up and
0: kind of kind of there's been skirmishes lines. and battles all along wherever the borders are and it seems this last town was almost the the big we want this one, we want this one, power play. Quite a big strategic importance. Yeah, which... um, uh, was What ended it, really, was our man Abiy Ahmed just agreeing you can have this town, which is called Badmay, I think is how you pronounce it. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, hands were shaken, it was finally over, the boundaries are set, and they're going to move forward. And that's just so much wasted time over... Just laziness and incompetence of Mm. giving back countries and giving independence. But obviously, this Um,
1: individual town's been a hot area of contestment for however long. And it's taken somebody strong enough to go, this town is not worth any more violence. It's worth peace to give away. And
0: that's what it's about, isn't it? It's all about compromise. Yeah. It's someone just having the brains to say... It doesn't matter who's right and wrong over this debate, even how big it is over a whole country. It's, let's just get the peace and move on. And Ult- ultimately, no
1: benefit will come from owning it. No. If somebody's going to die. No. And that's obviously why he's been awarded Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. Because ultimately, it seems like he's recognised that change would be for the better. Despite any loss of pride, ego, to his own country.
0: Yeah, it's just, oh, it's good. It's good. It's, 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 du- it's double uplifting news. Yeah, double week. uplifting news. Yeah. It's quite nice. Yeah, because last week we got a little bit too, a little bit too dark.
1: Last week was dark. Yeah. Next week is Halloween, and it's going to be even darker. Halloween <laughs> next week? Is it not? No. Damn. <laughs> When's Halloween? <laughs> two weeks yeah. well that's dark week <laughs> next week will be really nice
0: but after the week after that could be nothing but murders <laughs> Jesus. just to round up uh, the official part of the podcast have you got some information about past winners of the Nobel Peace Prize
1: yeah so in 2018 um, the prize was given out to two individuals for their efforts to end the use of sexual viol- violence as weapons of war um, so quite a deep topic there,
0: yeah,
1: and any efforts to kind of stop that is really good, yeah
0: it's fine because, by me. yeah <laughs>
1: war's never fun wars no. you know, you can argue the need for war as much, but there's most certainly no need for the kind of sexual violence aspects that always come no, along with it God, no. um and then, in two thousand and seventeen, it was the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons. Um, that received the Nobel nu- Peace
0: Prize. Nuclear or nuclear? What did I say? I <laughs> said nuclear.
1: Nuclear.
0: That's not the word. Nuclear. 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 That's like a <laughs> joke that Homer doesn't know how to say nuclear, and he works in a power plant. Please,
1: <laughs> <are you> <laughs> right?
0: Nuclear. No, we're keeping that
1: No, yeah, no, we're keeping it. In. Nuclear. <laughs> nuclear. What am I saying? Nuclear. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? Nuclear. So what am I saying? Nuclear. 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 No. no. <laughs> <laughs> so the ICAN <laughs> received the prize in 2017. <laughs> um, for their work on highlighting the co- the catastrophic humanitarian consequences of nuclear war. Um Fuck off, nuclear. (laughs) And then then then. (laughs) 2016 was won by the Colombian president, Juan Manuel Santos, um, for his efforts in reducing um, the country's 50-year-long civil war
0: to an end. So kind of similar to this one. Yeah, in a
1: way, bring peace.
0: Um, Funny that being the peace prize. (laughs) You know what? I'm a little surprised. But um,
1: ultimately, you know, they're all people that are, you know, attempting to end conflicts in some way or another. And the, the, the best people harmony. Almost
0: it's good it's really good for them to get this kind of recognition. Yeah. And I've not taken enough notice of it in the past, I think.
1: Most certainly. Um, yeah. it's really interesting. Um, it's just a massive recognition of what some people are able to do. But it's not an exhaustive list. There are millions of people yeah. around the world trying to make the world a better place. And each and every one of them no matter how little they think they're doing,
0: helps... They're doing the right thing. ...enormously. Yeah. So, I think that concludes that section of the pod. And that's a nice little happy ending. Yeah. Um, We'll move on now to the casual section. (laughs) To the big old riff. (laughs) The big old riff.
1: Where we sit back, get rid of our notes, and can actually chat Chat normally. (laughs) And I won't have to say the fucking word nuclear (laughs) ever again.
0: So what do you want to talk about?
1: Um so on your mind. we can either talk about the Rugby World Cup. Yeah. I know you'd want to talk about that.
0: I do, I don't want to do it exhaustively though. Because <laughs> um, we can't just make every ending episode end with the World Cup. I
1: mean the World Cup's gonna end in about two weeks. That's true. So you can you have to talk about it.
0: Alright, the pool stages are <laughs> over. It's over. They're finally over. <laughs> um yeah, the mishmash of big nations against small nations and Small nations occasionally being big nations and then returning to just getting spanked further <laughs> 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 The <laughs> upset did not carry on. It's all over. The semi-finals are decided. I'm going off the top of my head, but it is England versus Australia. Wales versus France. New Zealand versus Ireland. <laughs> and the big one, South Africa, Japan. The big tasty one. The big taste, which was decided today when Japan heroically beat Scotland. Oh, in a glorious match! <laughs> it was the first half was a spanking. Oh, they nailed it. Seventy nine percent possession, four tries, job done. They've got through to semi finals for the first quarter finals. Semi finals? Quarters. Quarters. I think I called them semis earlier. That's fine. This is the casual bit. Any, any mention of semi is actually a quarter. <laughs> Don't talk about your semi, please.
1: This is a good Christian podcast. <laughs> None of that language here, please.
0: But yeah, it's exciting. Japan, for the first time ever, out of the pool stages. And they're on to face South Africa, who they beat four years ago in the previous World Cup. So if you watch one match, watch that one, because that could be a doozy.
1: That'll be a really good match. Yeah. Japan's been playing excellently this entire tournament. Yeah. they played with real gusto and real technique and really good running game.
0: Yeah. Um, They're just so well drilled and work well as a team. And...
1: and it's a really good story because at the last World Cup, I think we discussed before, yeah. that Japan are the highest point scoring team in a group stage to not get out of
0: their group. Yeah, the only team to ever win three out of four games and not get out of the group. But they didn't do it this time. They got out. They four managed to wins from four games. Managed to escape,
1: and now they get to play the big boys, South Africa.
0: Yeah, who, for me, are the favourites to win. So, you know.
1: See, that's interesting, because so, I'd have the All Blacks New Zealand. The,
0: the, the All Blacks are the favourites, but I'm just in hope that... You just wanted just, a different team. I just want a different team to win, and for me, it's South Not Africa. Not a lot of
1: love for England, despite the fact we live here. You know why? It's because George North doesn't play for <laughs>
0: Steve's learnt the name of one rugby player and he determined to drop it wherever possible. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is a brief a brief, overview. A brief overview of the World Cup. Please watch it. It's a small sport, <laughs> but it's great.
1: It's good fun, actually. Yeah. I had a lot of fun learning the rules, watching it. Especially this World Cup, especially Japan, because you kind of pick on the underdog yeah. um, to kind of see what they're doing, and they've just smashed it. Mm. Especially since they're their home World Cup as well, so
0: yeah.
1: all the luck to them, and I'll definitely be watching that game in yeah. particular.
0: Um, we should talk about it as well uh, the film we went to see last night. Oh, film night, it was good fun. Film night. Uh, we went to see Joker. Hey, Steve from the future
1: here. We're going to be talking about Joker, and there might be some spoilers, so if you haven't seen it yet and don't want anything ruined at all, uh, go see the film, then listen to the rest of this podcast.
0: Which sparked controversy afterwards, both in the media and in our house. <laughs> <Over> <laughs> the split of whether it was... Which bits were funny, which bits were acceptable, which bits were just great. I, I loved
1: it. I honestly thought it was a nine pushing nine and a half out of ten. And yeah. I'm quite harsh with films, I'd say. It was I'd a say.
0: strong film. I could
1: not keep my eyes off it the nine. entire run. Um, it was
0: amazing acting by Joaquin Phoenix. It was one of those where you completely stop seeing the actor and you're just seeing Arthur Fleck in his spiralling. It's hard to watch, but... The only word I could say is mesmerising. Yeah.
1: To see his transformation from Arthur Fleck, the clown, into Joker. Joker,
0: yeah. And the big media outrage is that they think it's going to spark... Crime and his glorifying mental illness,
1: I think it was glorifying the idea that the joker as an individual could be sympathized with, yeah, and that it was a logical step to go from potentially maligned individual by society to mass murderer, but I think um, which is often a sorry, it's often a line peddled by the media when talking about school shootings.
0: What about sympathy for them?
1: Um, Not the sympathy, but just the kind of that these were the people, these are people that were maligned by society, they had mental health, and then by having this kind of association and showing this progression, others could pick up on that and inspire mass shootings. Yeah,
0: especially because at the end he is seen to win, for lack of a better word, because he starts to be worshipped by the people of Gotham that are in the streets
1: interesting that the last shot though is him in an institution of some kind yeah he's given this platform as spoilers i'm sorry probably should have said that <laughs> beginning but he's given this platform of being the idol He is the joker they're all donning masks and hmm. makeup to be the clowns but then the last time we see him he's an institution
0: yeah and i think so i think it's good that it ended on that because it shows that It is almost a just a fictional case study of mental illness. I mean, if you take away the title of Joker, change Gotham to being called New York and stop all the Batman references, it is just a case study of a guy completely trodden on by society and his mental illness. And unfortunately, the respite he gets is in crime and in lashing out. And I think that's what people look at and potentially see the
1: danger of, the glorification. Mm. Um, Whether that's right or not, there was only one moment for me in which I thought that could be construed. Um, There's just a scene. Which one? Um, when he comes out of the train after the police uh beaten up yes, um... and then he's walking away and he's smoking and he's, the camera's looks, probably slowed he down. He looks cool. He looks, he's walking away while the police are running back and it's slowed down by about 75% and he just looks cool. Yeah. It's, an action, it's a cool shot of him walking away with power, charisma, uh, gratification of what he's done. He's escaped from the crimes he committed and seen that the people that were inspired by him and his original actions have protected him. Yeah. And he has that almost godlike ability. That's the only bit I thought was a real glorification.
0: Yeah, I think most of the rest Again, you could
1: still take it as the kind of character of the Joker, accepting his newfound, or the first taste of his new position as the Joker, Mm. which is not bad, since it's, you know... A it's really a film based around a comic.
0: Yeah, and if you think we're going too serious about this film, then then go and see it, and it's not just a happy-go-lucky com- comic film oh, God, or no. anything. Like It's really shockingly realistic. Mm. Like Every murder in it, every dark scene in terms of him with troubles in his life, especially the first half of the film is really building up sympathy for this character, and you know he's going to be the villain. And th- there are yeah. certain turning points in the films where you see him turning from just a mentally ill person to a criminal. And it's it's, it's it shows that things aren't so black and white, I think. It's great. Th-
1: yeah, for me, I think, does the film make you feel sympathy for the Joker? Yes, it does. Does it show that his actions are proportion to what he... Receives himself? Probably not. No. But it is hard to say...
0: Well, there is a turning point when his violence stops being in self-defence and in panic. Yeah. Not to be too specific with spoilers, but there is... Near the end of the film, he makes the decision to be evil as such, almost. He mm. embraces it, which I think is the I music think, helped with that honestly the music was so dark and even god, at the, the end music, it was so sinister the swells of music yeah. to
1: kind of indicate what i got from that was it was his kind of rage burning and it just grow and grow until it yeah. exploded and that explode that stop of not, the swell would be him committing violence of no, some kind it's not
0: a glorious explosion either it's oh god knows it, it was visceral it was real like he's it not a he- hero he's the main character but he's not a hero
1: I don't think there's any heroes in it. I think that's no. one of the things the film portrays quite well, is the world's not black and white. It's, it's almost
0: villains against villains.
1: It's pretty dark grey, yeah. and very dark grey. Yeah,
0: um,
1: People are more complex than just a man running around in a cape beating criminals. Beating up bad guys, yeah. Yeah, it's much more than that. Yeah. But I thought, I, just one thing I thought of while watching it, is that whenever he killed, um, while he was kind of still Arthur... In my mind. He was always still... He was dressed as the clown. He was dressed as a clown. He was in I He was in costume. That. Yeah. But then once he'd accepted Joker as him then, he'd found his identity within the Joker. He then killed the woman at the end.
0: Yeah. Or you're assumed yeah.
1: as himself. He's, He's no longer... Just, he doesn't then. need to hide behind the costume because he is the Joker. Yeah. And that's something I thought of just as a kind of afterthought to think... That's the progression it takes.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. We might revisit it in another pod. We might not, depending on if we have time. To be honest, hmm. but you could t- honestly talk about this film for hours. This film for hours. We already have, and <sighs> yeah, it's a goodie.
1: As a film, it's exceptional.
0: Yeah, it's dark though. If you are sensitive, it might be a yeah. It's... Maybe we want to miss and watch when you're in the safety of your own home. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just it's. Don't go in thinking it's light-hearted nah. or any kind of superhero. To be fair, one of my friends was talking. I said I asked her, have you seen this? And she said I oh, like superhero films. I was like, it is not, a superhero, not a superhero film. Superhero film. <laughs> <laughs> There's Man.
0: not a single superpower. The only superpower... Doesn't, even mention, doesn't even mention DC in the starting bits? Mm. I can't remember. Just, Probably. Yeah. Because the joke is still—it's not bandied about, though.
1: No, absolutely not. You know, it's really loosely. And I thought the tie-in with the whole DC world with Batman and Gotham yeah, was really well
0: done. Then. Yeah, it was as if it was, it felt it felt like was a, a real place. part of the story. Yeah, it wasn't just ham-fisted in. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, so yeah, I think we'll finish there. Wrap up. Um, again, mentioned it previously, but we've got to plug it. <laughs> Follow us on social media. Um, ping us any ideas or things you have about any of the topics we have today we're on snapchat instagram facebook and twitter as this and that pod and you can we're going to be releasing we're going to try and release every week on monday monday evening probably so yeah that'll do
1: that'll do donkey see ya see you later